This morning, I want to uh, just simply pull something out of my pocket and, and recognize. Um, do you know what this is? Say it loud. Almost slime. It's not that big. It, somebody said over there. It's Play-Doh, right? Um, I used to say Plato, you know, like the, um, the philosopher. But it's Play-Doh. And uh, I was looking at this Play-Doh, and I, I was just praying. And I was seeking the Lord what he would have me to share this week. And the Lord really put a word on my heart. And I was thinking about the word, and I was thinking about Plato, as silly as that might sound. And one of the things that you know about Plato um, is that some moms love it and some moms hate it. Some moms hate it because of the fact that when it dries up and it gets in the carpet, it's almost impossible to get out, and it's like stepping on a dagger when it dries up. Some moms love it because it gives them time where their children are content and they get to breathe for a few moments. But the real reason why people love Play-Doh, and this is my, children, my child's Play-Doh, the reason why kids love Play-Dohs is because they love that they can control it, right? They can take Play-Doh and they can shape it and make whatever they want it to be. And this is the truth. Like, they like to, you know, you could, I actually had a little mold thing, and I, I dropped it somewhere outside. I don't know where it is. But a little mold thing, and you can shape it, and you can make your creations, you can make whatever you want it to be. And it's a fun little to, to, a toy for a kid to play with, and even for adults, maybe. Um, but I was thinking about this, and I was thinking how, unfortunately, a lot of people, a lot of people in the American church today have treated Jesus as, as if he's a piece of Play-Doh. And there's this, there's this sense of saying, that we can control and shape Jesus to the kind of Jesus I want him to be. A Jesus that aligns with what I want. A Jesus that aligns not with scripture, but with my desires. A Jesus that doesn't align with the Bible, but lies with everything down a certain political line that I like most. Or whatever it might be. But a truth is that many people in the American Christian world, there tends to be this growing thing where we feel as if we can make Jesus whatever we want him to be. Like a piece of Play-Doh. And so we prop this Play-Doh Jesus up somewhere and we say, this is my Jesus. And he's bearable, right? He doesn't step on my toes. He doesn't offend me. He doesn't call certain things in my life to be convicted of. He allows me to participate in things that I want to participate in. But the reality is that the problem is with that is that people who have that sort of Jesus will never find the true power of Jesus. Any form of Jesus that is not the true biblical Jesus will never be the Jesus that can deliver people. And unfortunately, much of the Christian world today is presenting versions of Jesus that is just acceptable and everybody likes, everybody wants. But I pray and I long that we would not be and that we would continue to be a church that doesn't fashion a Plato Jesus, but that would hold to who Jesus says he really is in the scriptures. That we would understand that we, look, who Jesus is, is purely determined by this. It's not determined by my feelings or what I want. And so whatever the word says about Jesus, that's what we want to embrace. Here's one of the truths. The reason why I want to to talk about this today is because so much of the Christian life, if we don't have the proper under, and I don't want, I really don't want to use the word understanding, but I don't know what other word to use right now. The proper understanding, view, relationship, intimacy, whatever you want to call it, with Jesus, will create these versions of Jesus that we have and we shape to our life. But we, but because of that, because we have them like this, we won't actually listen to what he says. We won't embrace his calls, right? Jesus has a cause in the earth. Jesus has a call for his disciples. He has a, ch- a call for his church in this earth. And if we try to make Jesus whatever we want him to be, when the things get tough and the things get hard, we won't, fall, we, won't follow, we won't follow after him during that hardship. 
or that cause or that challenge. And so today what my heart's desire really is this, is for us to look at the Bible what it says about Jesus, and that for us as followers of Christ, that we would embrace his cause and his call, what he says about himself. Because if I try to make some other version of Jesus, I'm not going to obey his call and his cause. But if I understand, what, if I see Jesus for who he is, it's that when you see who Jesus really is, it captivates you and you say, I will follow him. If you have any lesser Jesus, you won't follow But the true Jesus, the glorious Jesus, the majestic Jesus, the mighty Jesus, the one that is the King of kings and the Lord of lords is the one when you get captivated by that Jesus, you will say, I will follow him. I will obey his call and I will live for his cause in the earth. And so my prayer today is for us to take some time to look into the Bible and really say, who is the real Jesus? Because I was thinking about... What Leah said, Leah came up and she talked about Mark chapter 8, where she said about the disciples had a misunderstanding of Jesus, and she said, you forgot. And look, the reality is, is we may be like, I'm a Christian, I've heard so many different sermons, and I know so many things about Jesus, and I know the titles of Jesus. But just like the disciples, they had already forgotten about the feeding of the 5,000, and that Jesus had broken the bread and had 12 baskets left over. The reality is we are always being called back by the Word of God to remember who does Scripture say Jesus is. And as I look at who, what Scripture says Jesus, who He is, I will must and long to become captivated by that so that I will obey and follow what He calls me into. And so this is my prayer in my heart today. And, and, and doing this, you know, I was, I was praying just like, okay, the real Jesus. Let's look at the real Jesus. Let's look at who Scripture says Jesus is and, and, and examine it. I fully understand that this is, in my words, I would say very foolish. To think that a finite human can explain Jesus. To think that any man can get in a pulpit and say, let me explain Jesus. Let me explain the, the, Jesus Christ, one of the, the, the persons of the Godhead. Like, let's, let's explain him. Like, anybody could ever do that. There's no preacher on earth that can do that. There's no preacher that is gifted enough to be able to do such a task. But I thank God that that's why he gave us his word. And that's why he gives us the Holy Spirit. To illuminate our hearts to understanding who Jesus is. So that it is not, met, is not depend upon a preacher or a man. But it depends purely on the word of God and the spirit of God. The spirit of God taking the word and making it alive to us. And so I, I, I would pray and I would ask you. Could we just pray like let us see Jesus. Jesus says in John when he talks about the Holy Spirit. He says, it is the spirit of God who will reveal the son. And so I just want to take a moment, I want to pray, like, could we pray to the Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us Jesus? I mean this with all my heart. I don't want us to reveal theology necessarily, or even just more, hey, I've heard that title before. It's not about the titles, it's not about the understanding in your intellect, it's truly a work that happens in the heart of a believer where the Holy Spirit comes in and sheds abroad who Jesus really is that captures us. And my prayer and my burden, my my cry, my plea really is this. Could we be captured by Jesus today? Could we fall so in love with Jesus? Could we say, Jesus, you are so beautiful. The real Jesus is so beautiful. Any other version of Jesus is not worth following. But the real version of Jesus is worth following. And I will live for his cause and I will take up his call because that Jesus is worth following today. So in the Bible, let's look into that and let's pray. Let's ask God, like, God, please captivate us. Work on our hearts. Lord, I understand that there's no possible way for any man to ever express who truly the Son is. In all of His glory, in all of His might, in all of His love, in all of His mercy, there's no way a man could ever do such a task. 
But I ask, God, that your word would come alive. Not because I make it come alive, but because the Spirit of God makes it come alive. That the Holy Spirit, you would reveal to us Jesus, the Son of God, just as, as Jesus said himself, that you would do that. That that's why you, one of the reasons why you came is so that we could know you, we could understand you, we could have revelations of you, God. And so I pray that today, God, there would be a great revelation of Jesus. And as we see that great revelation of Jesus, it would cause us to say, I will live for the cause of Jesus. I will live the call of Jesus. I will do what he has called me to do in this life. And I will follow after him with all that I am as a disciple of Jesus today. So we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We ask that you be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, you have your Bibles. You can turn to Mark chapter 8. Leah, you danced all around the passage. You danced in front of it, and then you jumped right past it. So almost landed on it of what, what the Lord put in my heart today. And again, the message that I, the Lord put in my heart today is to see the real Jesus and to understand it this way. That is, we have the need to see the real Jesus in order to follow Jesus and to live for his car. And I would say it like this, to endure. I'm just going to be very honest with you, and I think Pastor Lee has alluded to this quite frankly, is that we don't know what's coming down for us Christians in this country. We do know that Christianity is increasingly becoming more and more thrown to the side by our government, but not just the government, just the people are more and more unwelcome to Christianity. There is a, it seems to be that there could be a great persecution of the Christian church, increasing persecution of the Christian church in this country. And if that's the case, the only way we'll ever endure is if we know who Jesus really is. Not a theology of him, but a revelation of him. And so let's pray that that's what God would do. So, what we're going to do is we're going to start in verse 27. I'm going to read some of it and then talk a little bit. But just follow along with me as we dive into this, understanding that we're looking at the real Jesus. So verse 27 says this. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one. So just to start off, I just want to say a couple comments about this passage right here. So at this point in the ministry of Jesus, this is the halfway mark in the book of this halfway mark in the book of Mark, and in this point, it's a shift in all of what happens. The rest of the book, the whole the whole way the book works, it just changes. But at this moment is a pinnacle moment because it's the first time any human in the Gospel of Mark has proclaimed Jesus to be the Messiah. To be the Christ, to be the anointed King of God. Before this, the only, you can go look at it before this, the only people, or it's not even people, the only ones that did this were demons. The demons would recognize who Jesus was, but humanity did not fully understand. Even his disciples would say, who is this that can calm the storm and the seas and so forth? And so what happens is Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi for the intention and the point of revealing who he really is. So he gathers his disciples together and he says to them very clearly, you know, who do people say that I am? They give some answers. And then he asks them the most important question, who do you say that I am? They, Peter gets it right. He speaks up. He says, you are the Christ. The revelation had come to Peter and at that point to the disciples that Jesus really is the Messiah. He's the one that all of the Old Testament scriptures had been waiting on. He's the promised redeemer. He's the promised one who would come. He is the Messiah. They get it. They got it. Jesus even says in Matthew, uh, Matthew's account where he says that, he says to uh, Peter, he says, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. They didn't just have a theology of Jesus being the Messiah. They had the revelation of it. Okay. So understanding this, the first thing you see here is that the disciples get it. 
Jesus is the Messiah. All right? And so just keep reading with me. Verse 31 then says that immediately after this, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again, and he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So here you have it. Jesus reveals, Jesus asks the disciples who I am. They say, you're the Christ. Then Jesus says, okay, they got it. They know I'm the Christ. Now I'm going to explain the type of Christ I am. What sort of Messiah will I be? I will be this kind of Messiah. I will be the Messiah that suffers and dies and rises again. The problem with this, though, is that this did not fit Peter's Plato version of the Messiah. Peter had a version of the Messiah that fit exactly to what he wanted. There would be no suffering. There would be no hardship. There would be an army that would march into the capital of Jerusalem, take Jerusalem by storm, and then overthrow the Romans. This was Peter's understanding of the Messiah. This is how Peter wanted the Messiah to be. He shaped him, he made him, whatever, he put him down and said, no, this is what you're supposed to be. So Peter would tell Jesus, and he calls and says he rebukes him for saying, you're going to be a Messiah that actually suffers. He's explaining to his disciples what sort of Messiah he will be, the type of Messiah, not what they anticipated at all. And so Peter rebukes him. We see that in verse 32. And so Jesus recognizes, okay, you have a version of me that isn't in line with God. And he says to him, he says, you are more concerned. He said, get behind me, Satan, which is like one of, I mean, could you imagine Jesus telling you that? But then he says, you are more concerned with the things of man than the things of God. Why? Because his concern was self-preservation and having a Messiah that served his agenda and his wants. What he wanted out of the Jesus, he wanted to determine what Jesus would give him. How Jesus would function. What that Messiah would be like. And Jesus says, I am not going to be any type of Messiah other than what the Father has called me to be. I will be the type of Messiah that goes to the cross. I'm not concerned with what man determines for me to be. Because that is not the Father's will. He loves the Father. He obeys the Father. But I will be what the Father has called me to be. And so I'm concerned with the things of God. And church, this has to be for us. We don't get to determine that Jesus is whatever. Jesus is the, he's, he's the perfectly everything Republican Jesus. Or the perfectly everything Democrat Jesus. Or he's the Jesus that always gives me everything I want. Or he's the Jesus that always makes everything work out the way I like it. No, that's not what Jesus is about. He's not about the human concern. Does he give us blessing? Absolutely. He loves to bless us. But his mission is not simply to be blessing in that way. His mission is to fulfill the Father's will. And he will be that Messiah. So you understand? He rebukes, his, he rebukes him. He explains to him, I'm concerned with the things of God, not the things of man. Unlike you, Peter, you've tried to make me into some form of a Messiah that's not to the Father's will. And then he calls this, this crowd in verse 34, calling the crowd to him with his disciples. He said to him, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whosoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So you got, you're the Christ. 
Jesus explains the type of Christ. Peter doesn't like it. Jesus corrects that. And then Jesus says, all right, I corrected that. This is, I'm not that. But I want to also show you now, it's not just me that's called to die. It's all of you. All disciples everywhere will follow me. As I'm the Messiah, I go to die. I go to suffer. And so will all my disciples. And this is a hard call. I won't deny that. That's why I said to embrace this, if you have a a view of Jesus that is just, you don't think of much of him, you will not embrace this. We will not embrace this cause to live for Jesus and for the sake of the gospel that he says in this passage if we have a Jesus that is what we want him to be. That's why we have to look at the biblical Jesus and be captured by the biblical Jesus and be fascinated and in love and enthralled by the biblical Jesus because it's the biblical Jesus that is going to cause us to change our hearts and say, I will endure whatever suffering I must endure because it is this Jesus I love. And it is this Jesus that has captured my heart and my affection. And so you read this passage and you see Jesus explain very clearly, okay, to the disciples, then to all of them. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. So you're not living for yourself. So you can't create a Jesus that's for you, just for yourself and about you and for you and do everything you want for you. The book of Colossians makes it very clear that Christ created all things for him, by him, and through him. Like it's, it exists for him. Everything's for him. He says, and not only is it to deny himself, but it's to take up the cross. In other words, to embrace the call to death. It's difficult to embrace the call to death to self. To, to, to say, I deny this desire that I have that is an opposition to God. Because Jesus, I've seen Jesus and he's beautiful. And so it's to deny that, it's to push away, to die to the flesh, to the things we desire, and to follow after him wherever he would go. And he made it very clear where he is going to go. He's going to go to die. So for all disciples everywhere, this is the call. It does not necessarily mean literal death, but it does mean spiritual death, absolutely. In fact, Luke says in his, his account that it's to die daily, to take up the cross daily in this case. So he explains that if you wish to save your life, you'll lose it. But whoever loses life for my sake and the gospel will save it. So in other words, in order for any disciple of Jesus to be willing to do this, to give up their life for Jesus' sake and the gospel for this cause in the earth, they must have a revelation of Jesus. If we don't have the revelation of the biblical Jesus, the real Jesus, we're not going to last through that. And I don't know what's coming. But I know as a pastor, we must, I, we as the pastors on this earth, must do everything to equip you to endure to the end. And it's not, like Leah said this, it's not about how big this church gets. He said all that he's concerned with is to get as many of you to heaven to be with Jesus. So we, we preach the truth to say, let's endure to the end. So we need to see Jesus today. So that's my prayer. So all of that is the introduction. All of that. Leading us to understanding, now let's look at Jesus. Let's look at Jesus. So going into Mark chapter 9, in every gospel account where they have this account, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this always follows this way, where it is, the, it is this teaching from Jesus, and then this event that we've all heard about and we've all read, and maybe as you've read it in your life, you're kind of like, okay, cool story, but what does it really signify and mean is the transfiguration. All right? And I want you to understand something about this event here. This event was not for Jesus. Jesus already knew who he was. 
And in fact, Jesus, the father had already spoken over Jesus at his baptism saying, this is my beloved son. He already knew his identity. He didn't need the, he didn't need the father to show this. This was for the disciples. Because like I said, he made this huge call to embrace the cause of Jesus and the call to death to follow Jesus. And in order to get them to follow him unto that place and into that cause and call, they needed to elevate their understanding of Jesus. And I hate using the word understanding. I just don't know a better word to use. They needed to know him more intimately in a greater way. They needed something of that sort. So Jesus is so intentional about this event that it takes place when it takes place so that his disciples will see who he really is and they'll say, I'm captivated by this Jesus. Verse 2 of this chapter, and we'll read it in a second, but in verse 2 of this chapter, I can tell you even more so the reason why is because it says in this passage, he was transfigured before them. But who's the them? The disciples. Verse 4, it's the same thing. There appeared to them before Elijah and Moses come to who they appeared for? The disciples. And even when the cloud came, you see this statement that's made that it says they, oh, the cloud overshadowed them being disciples. This event was for the disciples' faith to have a greater truth of who Jesus was so that they would endure and embrace the call and the cause of Jesus Christ in the earth. This is what it's for. For the disciples. So let's see. We're going to look in this passage. And what I want to bring out. And just we're going to move through them quickly. Is these truths in this passage right here. Verses 2 through 13. Are truths about who Jesus really is. And the beautiful thing about this. And this is. If you look at this passage. This passage is packed with Old Testament. I mean, it is, like this event right here is, is just connected to nothing but Old Testament. Why? Because these Jewish boys had an understanding of the Old Testament that would say, you're linking them back to this event. And by doing that, he would identify who he really was. He would identify, this is me. This is who I am. And so forth. And so... Let's, look, let's move through it. Let's look at this passage together. The Mount of Transfiguration. We're going to look at several different things. Revelations about Jesus that I pray by the grace of God will not just be information. Like I, that's the one thing I don't want. Is I, I, if I could just, like, I can't. I can't. But if I could, I would just pray it would not become information. But it would be like, oh, Jesus. Jesus. Like, that's what I want so bad. Because I know that's the only thing that's ever changed my life. When I saw him. And he changed me by seeing him. So the first thing that we're going to look at is this. And it says in verse 2, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain, a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant and intensely white as no one on the earth could bleach them. All right? Um, jump down to verse 7. It says, And a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. And I just want to pause there, okay? We're going to read the rest of it, but I just want to pause there because I want you to see. Like I said, this whole passage is to jump everything back to Old Testament. That's what I love about the Bible. If you, listen, if you actually take how Jesus says to interpret Scripture, he says in Luke 24, the way you interpret and read the Bible is that everything points to Jesus. And so all of these things that you read in the Old Testament are really just like... One, I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said that all roads lead to London in England. I don't know if that's true, Leah. But they say all roads lead to London. Everything in the Bible leads to Jesus. And so all of this is going to jump back. And so this first thing I want you to see right here in this passage is this truth about Jesus. Is that Jesus is the glory of God revealed. Jesus is the glory of God revealed. In this gospel, and in any of the gospels, particularly Matthew, there's a lot of mountain scenes. And every time Jesus takes his disciples or something happens on a mountain, it is an intentionality by Jesus to reveal some aspect of who he is and what he does. 
All right? And so in this moment, these mountain scenes are not just New Testament things, but they shoot us back to the Old Testament events that reveal Jesus' identity. And one of the things that you read right in the very beginning of this chapter, it says in verse 2 that he led them up onto a high mountain. And this is intentional, that the, st- the statement bringing us back to a very Old Testament passage that we also know so well, the book of Exodus. Where, where, where the people of God were led by Moses from Israel, or I mean from Egypt, they were delivered from Egypt to Mount Sinai. And in fact, when God initially called Moses, he said to him in chapter 3 of Exodus, he said, you're going to bring the people, you're going to deliver them, and you're going to bring them back here. And here, you're going to worship me. And they did. He went, he delivered them. God poured out his, his, his judgment on Egypt, delivered the people of God of Israel, brought them out, and brought them back to Mount Sinai. And out Mount Sinai, the power of God came and the cloud covered the mountain. And over and over again, you've heard the stories many times, right? And God would come and his power, the mountain would tremble and shake. It was a massive overshadowing of the cloud. It had, even Moses would go up and it says after six days, Moses would go up. Same language here. After six days of the event, it's the same connection back and forth. And one of the things that you know when you read about Exodus, it talks about that when Moses goes up, he's not just going up to just hang out with God, but he goes up to be with God. In fact, he gets to see the backside of God. And in Exodus chapter 34, he finally comes down from the mountain. And when he comes down from the mountain, we've all heard this before, it says that his face would shine and that he had to hide his face with a veil because the people could not look upon him. And so he went up, not just to go to a mountain, he went up into the glory of God. He experienced the glory of God. And what you understand is that when Moses came down, the people could not look up on him. And the reason why is because he had spent time in the presence of God and the glory of God that he was reflecting God's glory. The difference between that, though, this intentionally bringing us back there, and what Jesus does here is that it's not a reflection whatsoever. Jesus, in Matthew's account, it doesn't say... That Jesus is, he just radiated. It says that his face would shine like the sun. In other words, where Moses was reflecting God's glory from being his presence, Jesus was revealing the glory of God. And this is what it reveals about Jesus. The very first thing is that when he was transfigured, when he was transformed is what that means. He was transformed, showing God's glory, his divine power, how majestic and mighty he is. And so the first thing you understand from this passage is that Jesus is not like anybody else. He's not just some merely good teacher that has some good ideas. You go to LSU, you'll talk with students and they will tell you, I like some of the teachings of Jesus. But Jesus is not merely a teacher. He is the divine. He is the son of God. He is God in the flesh who came down. And he is fully God and fully man. And in this moment, in this scene, he reveals his glory. He reveals from his face that he shines forth, that his clothes are so white, that it's this powerful picture of Jesus showing his divinity to his disciples. Again, why? They needed to see who Jesus really was if they were going to endure. But here's the truth. If this, and this isn't an if. The fact that is that Jesus is God, it demands a lot. It means a lot for us. If Jesus, and he is truly the son of God, and he truly is God himself in the flesh, then we cannot go, then we should not be the type of people that go through the religious motions with Jesus. Jesus, I'll just give you my religious duties. I'll give you my religious, you know, habits that I do, or I'll just kind of, you know, give you a little bit of attention here and there. And then when I need you, I'll kind of use you and I'll make you to be what I want you. No, this is Jesus, the God. 
one of the three persons of the Godhead. Hebrews 1, 3 says that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so in this scene, Jesus is he's, he's revealing the glory of God, but he's revealing his identity as God himself in the flesh. Now, the unfortunate thing is like, yo, I wish we could drop ourselves into this scene. Like we read this, but if you saw this, we would be like, this is dazzling. The God of the universe is before us. And he says, I love you. I call you. Come unto me. Be with me. And I commission you and I send you. And it's like, he's the one. He's the one revealed here. And so it's very clear that we see Jesus is God fully. And I pray that you look at that and you just don't think, okay, like I said, I've heard it my whole life. But it's not, it's, it's not about what you've heard. It's about, and this is where I do think this happens in Christianity. The problem with Christianity is it's not that we need new information. We, 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 we always think we need to hear the new preaching and the new thing and the new this. It's really that we need to take what we've already heard and believe it by faith and walk in it. Believe by faith that Jesus truly is the God and the truly fully God. And what that means for us is that would lead us into a life of radical, white-hot love and passion for him. To follow this God with all we are, Jesus Christ. So the first thing is Jesus is the, the glory of God and is revealing God. The second thing I want to look at is that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Read that, starting in verse 4, read this with me. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Jesus said to, uh, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. I want to pause there. This is the statement. So the scene happens. The, Peter does what he typically does. He opens his mouth and says things he's not supposed to say. And in the midst of it, when you read the other accounts, it says that in the middle of him speaking, God comes down in the cloud. It's like, he's speaking, it's like, oh, you know, like I can't even imagine what that'd be like. Like, just drop down, right? And in this moment, then it says that God the Father speaks from the cloud and he makes the statement, my beloved son. Once again, all of this is Old Testament connections. It shoots back to everything in the Old Testament. And this statement here is not just one aspect of Jesus, but two aspects of Jesus. The first aspect is that he's the Lamb of God. When he was calling him and saying to his disciples, remember, this is all for the disciples to understand. This is my beloved son. What he was saying is, do you remember Genesis chapter 22? Do you remember another mountain when someone said, this is your son that you love? With Abraham. And Isaac. And in that case, God had called Abraham and said, go and take your son and sacrifice him on the top of the mountain. And Abraham, by faith, would go and do what God would call him to do. But God would stop, send an angel and stop him from, from uh, sacrificing his son. And in that moment, God would provide a ram instead. And then Abraham would then say, this is the place, this is where we knew, we knew, we came to know God as Jehovah Jireh, the provider. What God was doing when he was intentionally saying, my beloved, yes, it was obviously that we know God loves him, but it was a connection back so the disciples would know this is the provision of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the provision of God for the sins of the world. Not like where Isaac, Isaac got away, Jesus would truly be sacrificed. 
Jesus would be the one who would be that ram, who would take the place of the world, who would be the sacrifice for all things. Like Levi said, when we were taking, we were taking communion today, he said, so that we could be made righteous, there was a sacrifice that took place. And the sacrifice was Jesus Christ himself. And so this passage, when he says, my beloved, he is specifically pointing back to the event of Genesis chapter 2. And he's saying, that ram, that moment, Jesus is the lamb. John 1, 29, where John the Baptist would see Jesus when he came in, he would say this. He'd say, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I don't know how many of you in here need to know this or need to be reminded of this truth today. But hey, Jesus is the provision for your sin. It is not your good works. It is not your ability to plead with God. It is not your ability to get into the altar and linger with God. It is the provision of the Lamb of God that God provided. And so his disciples are hearing this. He's the ram. He's the one who will take sins. He's the sacrifice of God. In that statement, when he calls him beloved, he's not just pointing to that one event, but he's pointing to other events in the Old Testament. He's pointing to the statements where he's revealing him as this. Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. Psalm 2, 6 and 9 says this. All of this goes back to the Old Testament. That he says, I have installed my king on Zion, on my holy mountain, and I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession, and you shall break them with a rod, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This scripture is pointing back. When he said, my beloved, he's connecting it back to Psalm chapter 2. Stating this about Jesus. Hey, disciples, Jesus is, he reveals the glory of God, he's the Lamb of God, but he's also the King of the kingdom of God. He's the one who will rule the nations, who the nations will belong to him. And that all people from all over the globe and the world will one day surround his throne and declare his praise. Say, worthy is the lamb of God who was slain, who was and is and is to come. That will happen. This is what this is what he's declaring to the disciples. And we need to remember this. Because there's days we feel like the kingdom of God is not around us. But we need to be reminded that the kingdom of God is at work in the earth today and is advancing. And King Jesus is the king of that kingdom. And he will triumph and he will have all the nations and all the people. And there will be not one tribe left out around his throne because his gospel will go forth. We must remember these truths. Not only that, but this is also a lewd back. And, and, and to be honest with you, there's way more than I'm giving you. Of Old Testament connections. But Isaiah 9. You know this one so well. Of 6 and 7. Where it talks about a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. What will that son do? The government will be on his shoulders. He'll be named Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Eternal Father. Prince of Peace. His dominion or his rule and reign will be vast. And its prosperity will never end. His kingdom will be forever. It will be sustained by justice and righteousness. And he will accomplish this. Jesus' kingdom will endure forever. Disciples know that. Because there's a lot of other kingdoms vying for your, for your attention right now. There's a lot of other kingdoms that it's easy to get caught up to live for. But live for the kingdom of God that endures forever because Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And he will fulfill that kingdom. And he will bring it fully on this earth. And it will last forever. And he will rule it and reign it. Don't get caught up in other kingdoms of this earth. Get caught up in the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Then all these things will be added unto you. 
We must remember this disciple. If we're going to live for God's cause, we have to remember his kingdom is not some fading thing. It's a lot easier to get caught up in other kingdoms that we see around us. And so this statement, beloved son, is an allude back to Jesus being the lamb of God, but also Jesus being the king of God's kingdom. Next, you see this statement in verse 7. And when it says, and a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. It doesn't stop there. The father also says, listen to him. Listen to him. And this is a direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 18. And verse 15, where, the, where Moses would say, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. And you must listen to him. Declaring this about, about Jesus in this moment, that he's not just another prophet. He is the prophet. He is the prophet that they longed for. And so therefore, his words are true. His words are true because he is the word of God. John 1.1, 1, 1, what is it? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, right? Jesus is God. And the word of God, that is what he is. He is the word of God. And so in this moment, he's saying, Jesus' words are the life that we live by. You want to find life? You find him in the words of Jesus. Because he is the word. And in him is all life. His word brings life to us. Hebrews 1, uh, 1 and 2 says this, Long ago at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus is the way that the father has spoken. The true word of God is Jesus. So we listen to him. We don't create this Jesus where Jesus' words just become optional things. They're un- it's like, well, you know, Jesus, I-, I actually don't have to love my neighbor. Where is that? Jesus, I don't actually have to forgive the person who has mocked me. Or I don't have to forgive the person in the church who's hurt me. Where is that from Jesus? Sometimes we look at the commands of Jesus and we see them as burdensome. John, 1 John says that the commands of Jesus are not burdensome whatsoever. But sometimes we do that. We wouldn't say that out loud. But it's like, oh, that sounds so difficult to do. I've got to do this. But here's one of the things. is that Did you know that the commands and the teachings of Jesus are actually where the blessing of God flows? Like, he didn't give you those things to torment you. He give, gave us the commands and blessings and call, things to do so that we would experience the abundant life on earth. That we, that we could experience abundant life now, not just in eternity. And so, did you, like, when, when you take up that call to obey and listen to him, the word of God, Jesus, to forgive those who have mocked you and abused you and hurt you, and maybe they're even in the church world, when you begin to do that, do you realize that actually you get the blessing in return of that? Like, sometimes I think we are withholding some wonderful experiences with Jesus because we're unwilling to obey what he asks us to do. Now, we know the means of obedience is the grace and the spirit of God. But the Bible makes it clear. We're called to obey. Somehow today in this world, there's almost this fear of like preaching obedience. But obedience is part of the Christian life. Go look at the book of John. It's just part of it. It's what Jesus called us to do. It's out of love, but he gives you the means to do it. Absolutely. And so this is the reality that, look, if you want to know some of the blessings of the Christian life, the joy, the abundant life, the commands of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus are a blessing for us. And I think in this moment, he's not just talking about all of the generalities of it, but I think he's specifically pointing back to what Jesus had already told his disciples, which was hard to listen to. The statement saying, 
deny self, take up your cross, and follow me. Listen to that, guys. Because if you listen to that, you will find, what does he say? You will actually save your life. If you don't, you'll lose your life. And so the word of God is spoken here. Jesus being the word of God, when the father calls him, listens to him, he's basically stating that he is the word. He's the one that Deuteronomy 18, 15 is speaking about, that this person's word, this prophet's word, would be the word that is truly life. And it is not burdensome, but it is a blessing. The fifth thing is this, that Jesus is the redeemer of God. In verse 4, when you look at this passage, it said, There appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. When you read this passage right here, you don't know what they say. You have no idea what they're talking about. But if you go to Luke's account, you see what they're talking about. And it says in Luke's account that what they were actually talking about, is they're talking, they said they began to talk about his departure and his going to Jerusalem. And the word departure actually, in the Greek actually means the exodus. And so what was Moses and Elijah and Jesus actually talking about? They were talking, Moses was talking to Jesus about the exodus he was about to lead. Whereas, and I'm sure he was like, hey, I led an exodus one time. And this is what the exodus that he led. He was called by God, sent to Egypt to deliver the people of Israel from bondage and slavery from the Egyptian rule. And to bring them out to the mountains so they could make a covenant and be in relationship with God. But that would be lead to the old covenant, the Old Testament, right? But this is the new, this he's saying, but we're not talking. And I imagine Moses was like, this was the, this was the exodus I led. But your exodus is going to be so much better. Your exodus is this. That it's not just Israel that is going to be pulled out of slavery and bondage, but it'll be the nations. It'll be all who would come to Jesus could be taken out of what? Sin. Egypt representing the picture of sin. Controlling and having bondage and slavery over the, over the Israelites is no different than what sin is over us. Over, sin, over what sin was for us. It was bondage and slavery. But Jesus... Would, would have a new exodus, a better exodus, where all people would be welcomed in and he would pull them out of the miry clay in this exodus, and he would deliver them from the bondage of slavery and all of these sort of things, from sin's control over their life. And not only did he just bring them out, or Moses would bring them out and put them in a relationship with God through the old covenant, now he brings us out, but he puts us in relationship with God, not through the old covenant, but through the new covenant. And the new covenant was not something for, for God and the old covenant. It went like this. It was he, Moses brought him out. Here's God. Here's Israel. Let's make a covenant together. It's not that in the new covenant. It's God the Father and God the Son, and they make the covenant. And so it's the guarantee he will never break the covenant, and he will never break the covenant, so the covenant can never be broken. The promises of the covenant will endure forever. And because of that, everyone who enters into, sorry for those that are over there, everyone who enters into the Son, Jesus Christ, benefits and gains the new covenant blessings. Everybody. And so what are they talking about? They're talking about that. Moses is probably like, what you're about to do blows everything I did out the water. It isn't even a comparison. And Jesus is like, yes, it's coming. It's so close. It's so close. I can't wait. I'm going to have them. I'm going to be able to bring them to the Father. Like Levi said, I'm going to tear the veil. I'm going to tear the veil. I'm going to bring them in. This is what I'm going to do. He's the rescuer of God. He's the one who rescues from all things. Bring us to the Father who'd make a way for the covenant to happen. And I love what it says. It says he talked about the departure or the exodus, but particularly to Jerusalem. Jesus full know, knew fully well what took place, what was to occur in Jerusalem, his death. Unlike Moses, it wasn't that Moses went and brought them to the mountain and then he'd have to die to get them into the covenant. Jesus did, though. 
His exodus would actually require his death for anyone to come in. And he did. He gave it all. He was willing to do it all. And this leads me to the last observation. Is in verse 12. It says, he said to them, Elijah does come first. And this is the conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. They start asking him about uh, about, uh, Elijah and who Elijah was. In other accounts, he explains, it's John the Baptist, very clearly to them. But in verse 12, he says this. He says, he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how was written of the Son of Man that he should suffer and be treated with contempt. Jesus is making this statement. Remember, all of this to remind the disciples and reveal to the disciples, to elevate the disciples' understanding of him, who he is, so that they would embrace and follow the calls and the call of Jesus. And he does this, and he makes this statement where he says, speaking of the Son of Man, would suffer many things and be treated with contempt. This is a clearly a callback to what Isaiah said about the Messiah, that Jesus is the suffering servant of God. Jesus is the glory of God revealed. He is the Lamb of God. He is the King of the kingdom. He is the Word of God. He is the Redeemer of God, but he is also the suffering servant of God. And Isaiah 53 teaches us and tells us that Jesus was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Exactly what he's referring to. That Jesus would be that suffering servant where he would be treated with contempt. He'd be rejected by all of humanity. The one who's actually God rejected. The one who... That it would do everything out of love for humanity, miracle after miracle after miracle, and kindness and kindness and mercy and mercy flowing out of him continually. And yet, here he is being rejected by humanity. And he says in verse 5 of, of Isaiah 53, he says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him the chastisement that was brought us peace. In his wounds, we are healed. And it was the statement, very simply, Jesus is referring to this. He's declaring to his disciples, I will be pierced for your transgressions. I will be crushed for your iniquities. And upon me will be the chastisement that brings you peace. Upon Jesus. And here's the truth and the reality of this is that this means, this just declares like, oh, Jesus has suffered. Is he not worthy? I get that the call to follow Jesus is difficult, particularly to say, like, sometimes it's like when you read something like Mark chapter 8, and it's almost like, well, those are for the super Christians. No, it's for all believers. It's what Jesus wants for all of us. And, and we need to embrace it. We need to receive it. We need to say, yes, Lord, for your sake and for the gospel's sake, that he says in verse 35, that I will, I will, I will do this, but I need to see you. And, and, and all of these things about Jesus seen in this passage, they're not there for intellectual gain. He was not doing this to get the disciples to have more information about him. This was an experience for them. It was an experience. Like they were at an event that something significant happened in that moment. And it was an experience where they saw these things and God's glory came and revealed all of these aspects of Jesus where he's God's glory and so forth, the Lamb of God, the Word of God. But it wasn't meant to be information for them to have in that moment, just for information. It was meant to transform them for them to say, I will follow after Jesus. I will love after Jesus. I will do what Jesus called me. And, 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 and with all my heart, and I've already said this to you, 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 do, you know what I'm going to say. I desire so badly for you to not look at these and, and say, okay, I've got titles of Jesus. 
even throw away the titles, but the truths of Scripture of Jesus. Are they alive to you today? Have they been revealed to you where they literally stop you in your tracks and you're like, my gosh. And just one of these. Just one of them. I mean, just the aspect of Jesus performing the new exodus. Does that even move us? That calls us to say, this is, he is so different. He's so lovely. He's so beautiful. Uh, a few weeks ago, Pastor Lee was preaching. I don't know if you remember this, but he was preaching. And there was a moment in his preaching where it was almost like he was talking with himself, talking with God, and talking with us. Like a crazy person. <laughs> but he was saying, when did it become like this? He was making the statement like, when did it become like this? And, and I, I'll be honest, like, I found myself like that. Where I recognized, like, I would say to God, like, when did it become like this with me and you? When did it become that the truths of Scripture about who you are and what you do and all of your love and your grace and your mercy and everything about you is just facts on a page? Or information to share in a Bible study. When did it become that? And I've had to have conversations with the Lord. And break down before him. And say God forgive me. Forgive me. Because my heart is not filled with passion for you. And what you've done. And who you are. But more of what it is. Is I know factual knowledge about you. And the mercy of God is amazing. Because in those moments of confession before the Lord. He brings those things alive again. He breathes his life into it. His spirit comes and reveals the truth and might and power and not just in knowledge, not just the head thing, but in the heart of the man. And my heart is so desperate not to say, because I've preached a sermon, I've got these down pat. But for me to say, let God increase this. Increase my revelation of Jesus my intimacy with him as the suffering servant, my intimacy with him as the redeemer, my intimacy with him as the word, my intimacy with him as the king, my intimacy with him as the lamb, my intimacy with him as as the the deity, the the glory of God, Like, like increase my intimacy with you. I don't want to do the Christian life without that. I don't like I've done it at times and I've done it for seasons, but I don't want to do that. And I pray that you would not either. And and if if I'm speaking to you and you're in that, you know that you know what I speak of. You have felt it. You've lived it. You've been what I'm speaking about. The experience you've been there. Today is the day where God says, let me make afresh who I am to you. There's a passage in in, in, um, Isaiah that I've thought about with this, with this scripture, this message is quite a bit. And I, I think Michelle's used it in the past. But it's Isaiah 54, it's verse 2. So it says this, Enlarge the place of your tent, and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. And I've thought about this passage, and I've thought about my life, how there's times in my life where I've held back. I knew I was in the place where Jesus was just, I liked him, I had him, but there was some form I'd make of him, and certain things I liked and I wouldn't touch. And I knew that, and I would stay there, but I was comfortable there, and I'd stay there. But in this passage, when I read this, I think this, this call that Isaiah would have, and he would say, do not hold back. I just, I've been grabbed by that statement to say, I don't want to hold back. 
from Jesus. And because I want to have a glorious Jesus, that's the only way I'll ever be able to say, I'll follow the call of Jesus. I'll live for the calls of Jesus. One of the things that I love about this passage that it says is that Jesus says to his disciples when he comes down from the mountains, he says to them, don't tell anybody. It's the last time, I think it's the last time he makes that statement. The second last time. Either way. That no longer happens. It does. He says, and it says, don't tell anybody until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And I just to let you know the Son of Man was raised from the dead. He's already alive. He's seated at the, hands of, uh, the right hand of the Father. And I think about this. And, and in that moment earlier in Mark chapter 8, he says, you must live. You must forsake your life. You must give up your life so that you can live for my sake and the gospel's sake. And in other words, it's like this call, this cause that we're called to. We need this great view of Jesus. And now that Jesus is risen from the dead, go and live for the cause. Proclaim his name. Share Christ. Let the world know. Give all that you have. Hold nothing back from God. I was thinking about this. I was talking to our youth group today in Sunday school. Our youth group, we had about, I think, 12 kids in our, our class today, and all 12 of them were here on Wednesday night. And, it was, and, and they got to stay the whole time um, they were here. And if you, if you do not know what happened on Wednesday night, Wednesday night, uh, Pastor Lee preached an amazing message on the spiritual gifts. And then it was like, it was 9 o'clock, 9.30, and people began to start leaving. It seemed like the service was ending. And out of nowhere... Um, a young man in the church began to try, I, I don't even think he knew what he was doing, but he began to just scream for joy for Jesus and try to excite others to it. He picked up a little kid who's 12 years old and ran him to the front or something like that. And all of a sudden, the whole place began to change. And these people had a moment where Jesus, and I was talking to our youth group today, and they were saying it was like a revelation of Jesus we've never had. They were like, it was so real, it was so beautiful. And it was so incredible. And they were like, I, 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 they said, I've never known the freedom like that of Jesus. And all of these different things. They started going on and on about it. And we were talking about it. And I said, Jesus did not give you that revelation of him just simply for you to hold on to it. But Jesus is now calling you to go and share and proclaim what Jesus has done. And I would just say to us, guys, are we desperate for an increased intimacy and relationship and a revelation of Jesus? Are we, are we desperate for, are we willing to say like Isaiah, I don't want to hold back. I want to have this, all of these factual knowledge about Jesus to actually become realities to my life on a daily basis. That is the overflow for me to proclaim the message and to embrace the call to die and give my life up for Jesus. And so in this moment, if, if we could stand, my, my desire is just to simply close this like this. If you don't want to hold back, If you see Isaiah 54 and you read it and it says, don't hold back, expand your tents, your habitations for, for the sake of Jesus, for the need to see Jesus afresh and anew, would you take advantage of today? Wherever Mark is, I don't think Mark's word was on accident. He said, this is holy ground. And it's in this place that God can do what you, what you need him to do. It's in this place where you can have that revelation of God, of Jesus. And, here, and, and, and so it's, it's just simply this. Would you step out in faith and say, I want this in my life. I want this sort of, I want to increase revelation, love, intimacy of Jesus. Because, look, I, I mean this with all my heart. We will not stand for Jesus without that. You won't. Why he made his disciples learn about him. He knew they needed it. 
And whatever comes down this to our lives, whatever happens, let our view of Jesus carry us through the greatest sufferings, the hardships, the challenges, the embracing of self and death, all, letting go of self and, 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 and taking death, all these things, all of that, because Jesus appeared so glorious. You don't start with saying, I'm going to go die. You say, Jesus, give me you. And then from there, as you see his life, you begin to say, I gladly embrace the call. I gladly live for the cause. If you don't know Jesus today, if you don't know him as Redeemer, you don't know him as Savior, you don't know him as King and Lord, you've never repented of your sins, you've never placed your faith in Christ and what he's done, today is a day for you to make the profession of faith. Today is a day for you to confess Christ, to bow your knee to him and say, I confess you as Lord and Savior and I acknowledge you. And so in this moment, if that's you, I normally wouldn't do this. If that's you, would you just lift your hand up? If there's someone in this room who just needs, who wants to place their faith in Christ, who wants to be born again today, who wants to see, receive Jesus, a reality of Jesus, and not just a knowledge of Jesus. If not, let's just seek him. Seek him. Like, let's just not settle. He's more beautiful than we know. Imagine if you were there on that mountain. Just imagine the scene. He's more beautiful than we know. Father God, we come before you, Jesus, and Lord, we understand that you are so good to us. Your grace and mercy is true. You're real. You love us. You died for us. You've given us life. And Lord, today I pray, Father God, that you would do a work in our hearts. Lord, I I thank you, God, that so many of us in here, we do cry out, oh Lord, we don't want to hold back. Maybe we've been in a place of dormant life and love for you, Jesus, but Lord, today we don't want to be there. Jesus is not asking you to try to fix it. He's just asking you to acknowledge and let him get to work. He's just, he, it's the Holy Spirit who gives the revelation, not you. And so God, we just say, God, would you just do it? Would you cause Jesus to be more beautiful than we've ever known before that caused us to run and embrace the cause and the call of Jesus in every way of our life? We love you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. We cry out to you, Jesus. We, we just want to know you. We want to serve you. We want to give our lives for you, Jesus. And come what may, God, help us. Help us to always remember that you are all of these things and so much more in Scripture for us. So much more. Let your beauty never fade. It's kind of like this, guys. If you ever, if you ever have been around a little child, you do something... Maybe you, you know, you do some funny thing with your face. They ask you to do it over and over and over again, and it never gets boring. But for something about us as we age and adults, there's something just, we could, we could begin to live in, by the Grand Canyon, and we could grow old to us. And it's a shame, something happens. But for kids, it's not like that. It's just like they could just look at the same thing or see the same, hear the same joke over and over again and laugh and laugh and laugh. And I would just say this, could we have like hearts like children today? Could we ask God to say, God, take away this adult-like heart that's just... I've looked at the Grand Canyon. I've looked at Jesus, and he's no longer marvelous. He no longer captivates me. But we would say, I want to be like a child. I would say, oh, let me look at him again. Let me look at him again. Let, oh, he did it again. Oh, he did it again. Look how beautiful. Look how amazing. Look how righteous. Look how holy. Look how wonderful. Ask God for that heart today. And he would give that to us. Thank you, Father.